Hello and welcome to Do You Mind, a new podcast looking at mental health from service user point of views with lived experience and scientists who work in the field. My name is Joe Barnby and I'm a researcher at UCL in the field of psychosis and mental health. And today I was joined by Chris Timman and Lior Roseman, where we talked about psychedelics, how they affect the brain, and how it might be used for therapy in the future. Chris and Lior work with Robin Carhart Harris and David Nutt at Imperial College London and recently have published work in the field of LSD, psilocybin, and now working on a study looking at DMT. Hello, thanks for joining me both of you. I'm here with uh, Chris Timmerman and Leon Roseman from Imperial College London. Uh, and today we're going to talk about psychedelics and the brain, and maybe some of the current work you guys are doing at the moment. Uh, so introduce yourselves, please. Tell, tell our listeners who they're listening to. Cool. Um, um, I'm Chris Timmerman. Um, as you said, Joe, I'm, I'm doing a PhD in neuropsychopharmacology um, <clears throat> under the supervision of uh, Robin Carhart-Harris and David Nutt, um, working on the psychedelic research group here, um, where uh, we are currently conducting a DMT research. So yeah, that's me. Hey, I'm Leo Roseman. I'm also a PhD student of David Nutt and Robin Carhart-Harris. Uh, I'm in the lab already three and a half years doing a lot of the fMRI analysis and I'm uh, focused on the visual experience of psychedelics. So that's my main the- thesis about the visual experience. Yeah, well, you were involved in the NSD study as well, weren't you? Uh, Lear, much more than me. Yeah, I, yeah. Was, I was involved in the study, so I analyzed a lot of the fMRI data in the study. Mm. And I was also a subject. You're also a subject of that, yeah. Interesting stuff. <laughs> right. Cool. Yeah. I wasn't too too much involved in the, in the design and uh, mm-hmm. and like so. Yeah, I could be a subject in the study. Yeah, I arrived after it, and uh, but I, yeah, I just looked at some of the data on, on some specific uh, analysis and paradigms. But yeah, Lear has much more experience. And so, why do you think psychedelics are so important to us understanding yeah. maybe the dynamics of, of our minds? Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, a, it's quite a simple way to really modify and perturb the, the, you know, the system and, and change a lot of like, the regular way we see the world. And by, by this we can just like, learn about the world uh, and the brain from changing it a bit. But also there's just an interest of like, the therapeutic application of psychedelics and like, the benefit that they can provide the world uh, if they were being used wisely for certain aspects. So it's also interesting just to study the brain, but also to study the therapeutical applications. Yeah, Uh, just adding a bit to that, it's just like um, the way in which we, the way in which we conceive conscious states and and possibilities within, uh, you know, modifying consciousness, uh, our general idea is this continuum between, you know, sleep-wake or coma-wake. And you speak mostly about, you know, increases in reductions in consciousness. And with psychedelics you have this uh, unique opportunity to change the quality of consciousness. And we're still trying to figure out what what that dimension is. I mean, if it's increasing or reducing consciousness or just being different but in that way is that different. So just seeing what's happening in the brain in that sense, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite a unique opportunity I have to say. Do you, think, uh, do you think it's demystifying it to some degree or do you think it's making it more interesting? Because I know some people might say that, oh, it's, it, could be a, it could be a kind of a, a bad thing trying to reduce everything to brain activity, but how, how do you guys see 
how do you guys see it kind of complementing each other? I, I don't see it as demystifying. I see biology as the beauty of, of the world, and <clears throat> and this is just one aspect of it, explaining how things work, but it's not, in my opinion, it's not demystifying. I understand a, a lot of people do say that, that it's kind of taking the magic, stuff, magic out of things, but that's true to any science and biology, but I, I just think it actually adds beauty to it, adds some beautiful value to it. Hmm. Yeah. Adds complexity as well. I mean, yeah, you just look at the phenomenon and it, it now has much more stuff to look at it, you know, like you now you're now looking at the brain and what happens with the brain. So it's just having a, a wider uh, picture to look at, I think. Um, yeah. But I do understand people that uh, are a bit let down from the, you know, what, yeah, yeah, the experience out of it. But let down from the experience of. Uh, let down by having a, 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 an explanation about what's going on in the mind, mm. uh, just in the brain. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can understand where they're coming from, I think. But I also think that this is a very simplistic way of looking at what's going on. Uh, like, you're not going to explain everything but just by looking at the brain as well. I mean, experience is very rich and, and that also stands in its own ground, I think. Yeah, and I, th um, I think kind of mixing the phenomenology and, and neuroscience is quite important as well yeah. to this, this field especially because it is so rich in both sides. Yeah. Um, what, what kind of experiences did you guys um, find from the study, the LSD study? I mean, you said you were, <laughs> you were part of it, so what kind of experiences yeah. did, you, did you have during that just for people who might not be familiar with it? Uh, you mean as a subject? Like oh, sure. Or, or like generally, what were the experiences that people reported from the from the yeah, study? Yeah. So there's a, a lot of reporting of like visual experience. So everything was with most of the scans were with eyes closed. Mm -hmm. So you have a certain visual experience. It varies from like geometrical patterns to higher level things to to uh, more complex memories or or entities or or cities or or kind of. Uh, environments that you emerge into but it also has an aspect of like losing the sense of self or ego dissolution which is uh, just not having the regular sense of self and your kind of autobiographical history in your mind uh, yeah and there's also a euphoric experience uh, sometimes it can be also uh, anxiety inducing it depends yeah, yeah so I suppose taken in the wrong context it'd be, it can be quite anxiety producing yeah, yeah. Especially when I suppose you don't expect it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So why do you think there's that? Why, what, what do you think the change is there? Why do you think? Why do you think it's quite a, a terrifying ex thought to have it when you're awake as opposed to when you're sleeping? Why do you think we just kind of accept it when we're sleeping? I think. Uh, I think it's, it relates a lot to social cultural cultural uh, reflections on sleep and dreams that are accepted to. We accept that in these situations we can get those like uh, weird thoughts, but we don't accept socially and culturally that these can happen in awake states, and mm. and that's why I think you can. It's a bit hard to relate to them in awake states, and you see a lot of like also people that like in older age, like Parkinson's disease, dementia, or uh, dementia with Lewy bodies that associates a lot with like visual hallucinations. They try to not talk about them a lot of the time because they're afraid of like being called psychotic or stuff like this so mm -hmm. I think there's a cultural relationship over there because yeah. there, there are quite a few studies that especially um, in psychosis that would say that actually 
people in the general population have unusual experiences a lot more frequently than we maybe previously thought 20 years ago. Yeah. So do you think um, there is a kind of fear about being called psychotic yeah. uh, surrounding these sort of experiences? Yeah. yeah. And it's also a fear of how you relate to yourself as psychotic, yeah. you know, because it's, psychotic is like a really, really, really bad thing uh, in our society. So you don't want to relate yourself as this. You're very afraid of being one. Uh, yeah. So it creates an extra fear on the experience itself. You kind of try to deny and resist it, or like kind of. Uh, I think it's a, it adds this factor compared to dreams, which we, when we accept that you know this is just our mind every night. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, yeah. So it's interesting. I, I I have the like the feeling that uh, like the dream world and the wake state are much more like separate worlds experientially you know people tend to conceive it as that whereas psychedelic experiences because you're on the onset or off the offset coming back to the same reality in a smooth fashion you're like seeing that road coming on and coming off and also I mean and I think that and also other stuff um, people have the sense that they're kind of like I think they, they tend to value the experiences more real than dreams or t learning something more about themselves. Dreams can be very fussy, I think, at times. Whereas psychedelic experiences tend to be much more, I mean, they can be much more vivid in that sense. So I think maybe there's something going on in that, in that thing, you know. Um, yeah, in a certain way, psychedelic states, I think, might be much closer to waking life than dreams are to waking life. And I think like what you were saying earlier, Leo, as well, our fear of having this kind of psychotic break, there's this kind of fear of being called psychotic, because that kind of means that you're now removed from society. That's kind of the biggest fear, isn't yeah. it? Um, and I suppose in a dream, you, you feel like you're much more contained. Like, you wake up, you're still in your body, the, the dream happened in your head. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? You wake up and you feel like the dream has happened in your head, whereas maybe with a psychedelic experience, it feels like you're a lot more blending in with your surroundings. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't feel like you're as much of a container yeah. to have those experiences anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, think, um, do you think there are some people that might be better at uh, handling a psychedelic experience than another? This is almost kind of a... Um, uh, yeah, they just... But it's... Yeah, some people were just, I don't know, more uh, trust in themselves, maybe, is something that helps. But it's also like there are uh, situations where it's easier to have a psychedelic experience, and that's when you have a lot of trust from the environment that you do it, that mm -hmm. this is okay to experience. So if you have therapists with you that accepting your process, it will be very easy to go through this experience, even if when you have difficult times, uh, you're you're okay because you know that it's part of a certain process that you you're doing, and I think when the environment is supporting, uh, it helps. And there's there, and then it relates to this, the person's relationship with the environment. And a person that trusts maybe easily trusts his, his environment and that everything is going to be okay is a person that's going to have an easier experience. Okay. So so the facilitation from the environment is really important. Then having yeah. kind of a safe space to do it in almost yeah. Is vital to that process, yeah, you would yeah, say. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, and there are certain maybe people that are in baseline more anxious or more paranoid or more, mm -hmm. and that might be difficult for them. And then maybe these people need 
a more contained environment in order to help them trust the the kind of the situation that they're doing that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I think. Uh, <coughs> yeah. Um, the kind of like adapting the environment to the per like characteristics of the persons. Uh, that being said, I, I I also think that some people are not so well suited for psychedelic experiences. Um, <clears throat> and adding more complexity to that, some periods of life are not well suited necessarily for psychedelic experiences. Yeah. You know. Um, also having a bad experience or, or what you would call maybe a bad trip which is not very accurate I mean it's just bad moments within an experience it's not necessarily a negative thing as well I mean you can also see complexities in that you can be very therapeutic enriched by a negative experience or negative moments of which you come out of but um, yeah like Leo said I mean uh, mediation with the environment is key uh, it's interesting you're saying kind of you can get really interesting experiences from it. What you would think was a negative time within that journey. Mm. So do you think do you think also there's a fear of, of having a negative experience because people assume when they take it sometimes that it's just gonna be rosy and positive and yes. and warm and uplifting and sometimes it can be quite negative because, you know, that's also a part of who we are and Yeah. Yeah, totally. And and <clears throat> People a lot of a lot take it just for fun or just for uh, have good time with their friends or to dance, and and then when it becomes difficult, they they resist it a lot. And then <clears throat> again, the environment here is a key also because if the friends and the so the, if their friends or intention is just to have fun and one person is actually going through a difficult emotional process, he will be pushed aside from from the group and he'll have to do do it by himself. But if there's a if his group of friends are maybe more experienced users or do it in different settings or like maybe in in settings that promote the idea that you can have a difficult experience and it's okay, so the friends will be much more supporting for that person and maybe that person will be able to do a therapeutical kind of process from his difficult experience and not just resist it and try to kind of uh, push it aside. Yeah. So it's kind of allowing the space for any experience to occur, basically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's that's a key factor in also like in psychedelic therapy, and that's like one of the key things also in shamanic circles is accept the process, whatever comes comes, let go into the experience. Uh, there's no good and bad, you know. If if there's a fear, look it in the eyes. Yeah, yeah. I think like like what we've been discussing a lot about lately with Lear is in that sense a, a good example of that and how the group like arranges a situation for that to happen or for to, to be favorable in the wide sense of, of what favorable favorable means is this idea of setting intentions and having those intentions being you know aligned between each other between the people uh, yeah. it's a very important element mm. uh, so it's a way of, of kind of like aligning yeah uh, experiences in the best way possible so you're almost kind of setting yourself the target before you take it of just being able to be accepting of whatever happens mm -hmm. is that what you mean yeah I mean you can be as specific as you want to with this I guess um, it depends on the context you, you can have more recreational less recreational sometimes the recreational mixes up with the therapeutically I mean it's not so mutually exclusive um, mm -hmm. but you can have more exploration 
spaces, I would assume. And, and people can also engage in exploration stuff and setting as an intention a very wide spec, like a wide kind of thing. Some intentions are implicit in the environment, are implicit in the situation in which people are as well. But for that to be clear for each of the persons participating, I think, uh, yeah, it, it tells a lot about how, yeah, you know, how that experience may be in terms of uh, positive or negative. And you were mentioning earlier, kind of shamanic circles tended to set that environment immediately mm -hmm. of let's let's kind of explore this and see what happens. Yes. I think maybe out of um, kind of maybe to borderline on on anthropology for a second, I think we're kind of maybe a society moving away from religion, but there was something almost, I can see, quite important socially in religion in that it kind of accepted all these odd experiences as yeah. something to be explored as opposed to shunned away. Yeah. Do you think maybe there's um, a gap in the market at the moment in like environments where you're able to do this kind of yeah. exploration and um, reflection on yourself without thinking that you're crazy? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not necessarily think it's the going away from religion because also organ a lot of organized religions in our in our culture are not uh, like these experience are not uh, something that you want to have like you know necessarily in like organized Christian you know environment. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's it will still be considered psychotic mm -hmm. uh, and maybe shamanic or more mystical kind of type of like religions or. Um, are more accept yeah more accepting to that and yeah I think there's kind of uh, a gap in our society right now of, of accepting these and we can learn a lot from indigenous or shamanic kind of traditions you know how to how to consider these experiences and how to relate to them yeah I think you see that reflected as well in kind of therapy for psychosis as well there's a lot more em um, emphasis on kind of a non-judgmental, a compassionate approach to experiences that you might have, instead of just kind of immediately going, "That's terrifying, go away." Yeah, take it's more pills, like take your pills. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's more kind of let's let's just sit with that and let's see yeah. how that develops and let's have a look at it. Like you were saying, let's look at that in the eyes as opposed yeah. to shying away from it, which might make it worse almost. Yeah, yeah I'd say it's, it's it's generally a the idea of contention or containment of you know, like um, overwhelming experiences as well. I mean, this kind of the gap in the market that you mentioned in spiritual experiences, uh, it's an interesting one, but it also sets this kind of like difficulty of how are we gonna, you know, how are we now gonna frame uh, all these possibilities? Um, mm. Because they've lost their kind of like intrinsic value in like, you know, organized religion. I think it's, um, I read once like this book, um, one text by Jung, and he says like there was this priest that had the vision of, he was talking about archetypes, so it was like the vision of the old wise guy, but he had it like without any sort of mediation by symbols, you know, like religious symbols or whatever. And he went completely mad or something. And he uses that an example on, on the way in which, you know, how when symbols or if you will, strong, overwhelming experiences, uh, experiences of unity or experiences of, you know, like, um, I don't know, any sort of like very strong archetypical or originary or very, you know, all-encompassing experiences. 
if they're not channeled through the right medium or if yeah they can be quite quite overwhelming and somehow you need that contention to happen mm -hmm. or to take place so the yeah the gap in the market also presents this kind of like uh, also, calling a gap in the market is a bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a bit maybe nasty. that was the best choice yeah. of words. <laughs> yeah, maybe that was the best choice of words. But it presents the challenge. The challenge, you know, like uh, yeah. So how are we going to contain this, and, and what's the way, the best way of doing it? You know, and yeah, shamanic experiences provide an option. Mm -hmm. But uh, but it's quite interesting that now the kind of the scientific world is starting to come back again with with exploring this. Yeah these ideas, maybe that can be kind of a nice fertile ground to construct more spaces and more understanding of these experiences and therefore allow people more time to explore it without shunning it away. Yeah. 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 And do you think, um, how have you moved on, sorry, from your, uh, from your there's LSD and psilocybin work that Imperial were doing and now you're working on uh, a study looking at DMT and I know you can't talk we're still ongoing basically <laughs> so I know you can't really talk about it too much but just for people who are listening what kind of what is DMT um, how does it maybe compare in experience compared to maybe some of the other things we've been talking about yeah so DMT is this um, it's, uh, it's a naturally occurring compound and, uh, it works very similarly to LSD and psilocybin magic mushrooms in terms of the pharmacology, the mechanisms of action, uh, but what it makes it different from those is that it's very potent, uh, visually particularly, very potent uh, psychedelic uh, drug, and it is very short-acting. Um, uh, when smoked, it lasts about 10 minutes, 5 to 10 minutes, uh, the actual strong part of the experience, and then yeah, it's over. So yeah, very very generally speaking, that's that's kind of like the main, the main thing that DMT is. But there's also a range of particular experiences that come out of this, uh, you know, of this drug, and, and and there's some interesting stuff going on in there as well in terms of the contents of the experience, you know. So how does it? I mean, does it differ between the way you take it? So you're talking about smoking it. Um, mm -hmm. It takes five to ten minutes, but maybe I know it's involved in the kind of shamanic preparation ayahuasca. Does that does the experience change? Is there is there much of a different pharmacologically, or is it kind of quite similar? Well, yeah. I mean, when speaking about ayahuasca, it's it's, it's a bit different. I mean, it still has DMT. When you smoke it, it's five to ten minutes uh, in the oral route with ayahuasca because DMT is broken down by the gut, by some enzymes in the gut and the liver. Um, it's not active orally, so ayahuasca is, consists of the mixture of plants, some containing DMT and other containing other drugs, um, which inhibit the functioning of the enzyme and inhibit the fact that the gut is breaking down DMT. And in this, when it's taken in this way, it lasts four to six hours approximately. But the effects are, are similar as well. Yeah. Okay. I think there's a there's a different intention to both drugs uh, or both substances. Uh, so I mean, ayahuasca is considered called like a medicine, and it's much more used for healing purposes, whether it's personal or, so, or social or cultural healing. Uh, and I think a lot of DMT users comes more from a 
mindset of like psychonauts of explore, exploration of like these spaces going to this like a new environment and exploring them and I think that also has an important factor of like uh, the how the experience is shaped mm. and what you experience under the influence yeah so you'd say you tend to get more people with the intention to want to heal going to ayahuasca yeah yeah, ceremonies. I mean, yeah, there's some people with DMT that use it for that purpose, but I think the majority of people are using it for kind of exploration, kind of uh, a lot of intellectual also interest in it, I think. Sure, yeah, yeah. 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 And do you think it, um, how's, how's the experiment going so far? Obviously, without being too specific. Sure. Uh, so far, we've, we've had uh, very good reactions actually from participants. Um, we're seeing interesting phenomena come up as well in terms of uh, what people are experiencing under the effects of the drug. Um, there's a lot to be done in terms of analysis as well to mm. kind of like uh, figure out what are the brain, you know, what's happening in the brain as well. Uh, and what we're doing right now actually is also trying to find a safe dose which generates the psychedelic effects that we want so what we want is a is a strong visual experience uh, and the many other effects that we're looking for as well not just the visual element per se but also the contents of the visuals and which we could go a bit into detail later if you want <laughs> uh, but also that, but also the fact that, you know, people are tolerating it quite well in terms of psych psychologically, you know. Sure. Uh, DMT is a very safe drug in terms of, like, um, physical um, elements. Um, so the biggest uh, kind of, like, uh, thing that may happen is that people get kind of, like, has an anxious, you know, related thing. And so far we haven't seen that at all. Mm. Which is um, it's very good. I think it's, it's 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 a good sign, and it also you know speaks a lot about what we said before. You know, like um, um, the importance of the environment, mm -hmm. the importance of you know like uh, the music that you have around, how you dress the room up to be nice, how you treat participants, uh, yeah, and how they become accustomed to the people, how you enable rapport, trust. I mean, all of these elements have been. I think very important. So with Lior, yeah, we've been uh, Lior and Luke, another colleague. Yeah, mm -hmm. we've, we've had uh, very, very, very good, uh, very good responses. I would say. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and interesting at the same time. Yeah, yeah, uh, interesting stuff emerging in terms of experiences. Of course, but um, yeah. we just want to say we're not going to talk about the experiences in too much <laughs> detail, just because if anyone's going to be part of the study later on, we don't want to kind of seed. Uh, expectations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, we keep coming back to this idea of set and setting, right? And I know that was talked about quite a lot at the conference as well. This idea of that your intention and also the environment, if, as, if they're kind of um, correct, then it can allow an, an, an environment or an experience that can be quite reflective and introspective and, and interesting and therapeutic as well. I think that's probably the main aim of all of this. Um, so how do, you, how do you see it getting taken forward then? Uh, do you think it's going to influence policy? Do you think mm, I think, uh, I think a very interesting element that, that kind of a bit opens up with all of this um, in terms of the research and what we're kind of like seeing a bit in the research, this, this 
this very kind of like recurring theme about ego dissolution or or sense of self kind of like being dissolved and also the recurrences of spiritual undertones to the experience and how we're also seeing that this may be related to kind of like therapeutic benefits is somehow a bit merging this kind of like culturally dissociated things which is kind of like spiritual growth or whatever you want to call it mystical growth or whatever or even exploration of your own kind of like dark corners mm. and um, how this relates to the concept that we have in the West of psychotherapy, which is kind of like considered as a completely different thing. Um, so I think it's an interesting possibility in terms of you know the conception of mental health and also well-being and you know, these aspects kind of like merging in interesting ways. I think that's kind of like an important cultural thing that can can come out of it. Um, and that is not necessarily mediated by religion. So, yeah, and I think I think that's kind of almost the challenge, isn't it, of trying to do this without having that kind of connotation yeah. behind it. Yeah. Um, I think, like you were saying, Western psychotherapy is quite a, um, interesting that it seems so far removed. But I suppose at its core, both both this research and also psychotherapy, as you said, is just trying to explore the dark corners of yourself. It's not necessarily, you know, taking stripping it back from all the kind of language that tends to be used around it of spiritual and mystical and pulling it back just the very basic grounded level. It's just trying to find out a bit more about yourself and maybe the aspects of you that you weren't maybe quite so aware of. Yeah. So I suppose it forms quite a fundamental part of working that out. Yeah. And you think it can kind of be complementary to psychotherapy then? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Maybe like centers that you do, like this type of work uh, together with psychotherapy, or yeah, as you as you ask about policy. So maybe first step will be legalization, but only like for people who have like a certain certificate uh, to be ther like therapist, and you can go and experience it in a in a certain environment as a first step. And and yeah, I think that the the psychedelic therapy does take a lot from uh, shamanic. Uh, shamanic or subculture use of psychedelics so it kind of bridges those traditions which are like experts of how to use this technology mm. and, and, and we learn from them also and we try to put that into research or into the psychedelic therapy and put it into our uh, western world uh, yeah. so modify it a bit and, and fit it to our, our needs and using the kind of scientific rigor that you guys are yeah. to try and understand it properly because yeah, I think exactly. that's yeah, yeah. important step yeah. for it yeah. Yeah. thanks a lot guys thanks for joining me <laughs> I think we're going to wrap, wrap it up right there uh, some really interesting stuff but um, you can probably read about uh, these results as they come out um, in due course um, but I'm excited to read about it so uh, thanks a lot for joining me guys thanks. and uh, see you next time listeners